Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. I invite those who are able to please stand for the first lesson. It is from Psalm 137. I'll be reading the first six verses and listen now to the Word of God. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked us, for asked us for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I invite you to stand that we may hear the Scripture read. From Matthew's Gospel in the sixth chapter, these words from the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not more valuable than they? And can, can any of you, by worrying about a single hour, extend the span of your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's troubles are enough for today. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. God rules. God rules. God rules? Is it an exclamation or a statement or a question? God 
rules. 53 years ago this week, on the campus of the University of Mississippi in Oxford, there was a riot. James Meredith had been ad admitted to the university. He was an um, African-American. He was an Air Force veteran with nine years service. He was a transfer college student. He had been received. He had su supplied all of his papers. They had been accepted. But when the time came for him to show up, the power of the state, the governor of the state, did not want it to happen. And what unfolded over the last week of September in 1963 was chaos that involved calls to the President of the United States and the presence of U.S. Marshals and a riot. On Sunday morning, September 29, 1963, the rector of the Episcopal Church in Oxford, Duncan Gray, Jr., preached a sermon about what needed to be done and how to move forward. And that night, he went to gather to speak or to, to, to be present on the campus, but a mob swirled around, largely not necessarily college students, but people from all over. A mob swirled, and, and Gray tried to address the crowd. He even climbed up on a statue, a statue of a Confederate veteran that was there on the campus to encourage them to try to help provide order. But the mob overruled, and they pulled him down, and they beat him badly. That was 53 years ago. God rules. God rules? God rules. The children of Israel in the 600 years before Jesus lived were captive by the Babylonian Empire. They were literally militarily defeated, and for 60 years, a significant portion of their population was uprooted from their homes in Jerusalem and the areas around of Judah, and they were expropriated and they were taken to live by the rivers of Babylon, the Tigris and the Euphrates. And they were there until the Babylonian Empire was defeated by Persia. But they were there. And during that captivity period, much of the thinking about what it means to be a people, what does it mean to have a Messiah, what does it mean to share God's presence in the world came to them. And you can read that theme in different places in the Old Testament. Psalm 137 is one of those places quite clearly. By the rivers of Babylon, we have been taken away from our homeland. There, we are there and we weep. Because we remember Zion, we remember Jerusalem, we remember what it was like, and we weep because we are not there. On the willows there, we hung up our harps, for there our captors ask for us songs, and our tormentors ask for mirth, saying, sing us one of your songs of Zion. How? How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, 
God rules? God rules. God rules. During the 1600s in England, the king had become a very powerful figure. James I and Charles I were convinced that they had absolute right to do anything they wanted to, called absolute monarchy in political theory. And they began setting about that, and they began disregarding the parliament, and they began disregarding the church, and they began disregarding anybody they ruled as they wanted to rule. And at one point, that came to a head during the reign of Charles I in the 1640s. It came to a head when Charles tried to institute some political and church reforms in Scotland, and those Scottish ancestors got their neck up about it, and they said, we're not going to do it. And the result was an English civil war, a real civil war with real people being killed, bows and arrows and all sorts of weapons of destruction and battles, and it raged, and it raged, and it raged. During that time of the Civil War, the English Parliament said, let's call together some of our ministers and clergy and theologians and let them help us understand what God is doing in the world. And so they were called to the Westminster Assembly, and they sat there for a number of years, and they created a document called the Westminster Confession of Faith, which we still use, which is part of our documentary heritage of faith. The larger and the shorter catechism came out of that. Some of you, in part of the membership training that you went through as a, as a child maybe, had to memorize portions of that catechism. It is still a vital and vibrant piece of life for us, even though it was developed going on, getting close to 400 years ago now. During that process, part of the political world that was going on, the civil war that was happening, Oliver Cromwell came to power, and he and his army arrested Charles I, arrested the king. The king was the sovereign. The king was the person upon whom the power of the state rested. The king was the linchpin. And Cromwell and his army arrested him, and they tried him for treason and tyranny, and they condemned him to death. And he was executed. He was beheaded. The power, the authority that society looked to was killed. Theologically, that raised the question, who's in charge? And the answer that the Westminster Confession of Faith gives is God rules. God is sovereign. God is the one upon whom life and order depends. But it is not simply in the way of political power that God rules. God's rule does not mean that you and I are human pawns that are being moved around some divine chessboard. No. To say that God is in charge, to say that God rules, is to say that God created the world, and God knows that we as people have needs, and we don't always do what is best for us 
or for our brothers and sisters. And God sent Christ into the world to show us how to do that. God's mercy and grace are how God rules. God's mercy and grace overcome those inexplicable acts of human sin and capriciousness. To say that God's, to, to say in the church that God rules does not mean that our side won and so we can do a happy dance. No. To say that God rules is to say God understands that there are bad things that happen to good people and there are good things that happen to bad people. And we find our way through that by trusting that God's life revealed in Jesus Christ provides us with love and joy and ways of relating to each other that would not otherwise come to us. God provides us transformation. That is the way in which God rules when we say that in the church. It's a way of looking at the world so that when we read the newspapers and watch the internet videos about the shootings in Oregon, or we see the stories about the execution in Jackson, Georgia just this week, when we see those things, we can have a frame of reference that lets us know this is not all there is. God's rule can help transform even us in the midst of these situations. God rules. Individually and collectively, we come to this time and this place today in this space with a lot of things that have happened to us, not just today or this week or this year, but collectively over our lifetimes. And when we hear that God rules, it is a question that is not to be ignored or it's a statement not to be ignored. It is not simply to play games it is to give us a way of looking at the future. Sometimes what we think we knew doesn't pan out to be what happens. And sometimes people who we think we know don't always do what we thought they would do. And sometimes when we're honest about it, neither do we. So, when we hear this God rules phrase, let it, let it be a way of you hearing again that God's transforming power is at work in the world. And the way you are and I am and we are and the world is, is not the final word. It's not the final piece because God has a power of love. God has a power of justice. God has a power of mercy that overcomes anything we can do. We will, in fact, be caught up in circumstances. We will say things that may not be good to say, but we can be used, even us, by God in that transforming power. And circumstances and situations that happened long ago can be transformed, and we can be transformed. You and I can be transformed. Maybe there's no better way to say that God rules than in the words that Jesus is sharing in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, 
do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Strive first for the kingdom of God, for the rule of God. Strive first for the rule of God and for God's righteousness and all of these things, all of these other things shall come to you, shall be given unto you. God rules. God really rules. Thanks be to God. Amen.